0: Hey guys, Mubarak here, MNA CPA of Maori and Schoenfeld and Deal Maven. And here to you today to talk about what it means and what you should keep an eye out for when you're looking at the tax considerations for doing any type of business sale. All right, so we're going to go over kind of what you should look out for as a buyer or seller. Uh, we're going to talk about what you want to do, how to be in the best advantage point, um, because sometimes, you know, Buyers and sellers have different motivations and they want to be on the different sides of the table. And so we're going to go over the top tax considerations. And I have a CPA, uh, though every deal is different. And so you still want to consult uh, a CPA or myself uh, specifically on your deal terms uh, because there might be different aspects. So literally every single factor comes into play state and local tax um, you know how you're looking at the deal and so let's kind of just talk about it right away all right so the first kind of most important tax consideration is whether you're gonna do an uh, an asset sale or a stock sale okay um, so they both achieve the net effect of kind of getting the business that you want but semantically it becomes very different in You know for a buyer and for a seller it becomes different so what i mean by that is the asset sale right is the purchase of actual individual assets and liabilities whereas a stock sale is the purchase of the actual owner's shares of a corporation and so there's various tax implications to kind of keep in mind and also things might be slightly different depending on if it's a sole proprietorship if it's a partnership an llc um and really, if it is a sole proprietorship or partnership or an LLC, the, the transaction typically cannot be structured as a stock sale since none of these entity structures have stock, right? So instead, you have to realize that these entity types actually sell their partnership or membership interests as opposed to the entity selling its assets. So, you know, that's kind of where you need to see. And then... Once the if the business is incorporated, right? So if you have a business that's a C corp or an S corp, that's when the buyer and seller have to decide whether to structure the deal as an asset sale or a stock sale. All right. So obviously there's different motivations, right? Buyers love an asset sale, whereas sellers probably love an equity sale. And let me talk about why. So a buyer, right? If they're buying a company. They generally have less risk if they do an asset sale, um, and they get kind of a very favorable depreciation um, assumption. So what I mean by that is, first of all, when you're buying just an asset, you're just buying all of the useful things of a business, right? So you're not having to worry about any prior liabilities, any prior issues, because you're literally just, you know, if we think about this in a Say, in a, like um like you're buying a manufacturing plant, you're literally just buying the equipment, the machinery, maybe the real estate, the fixtures, the leaseholds, right? And then you'd be buying things like the licenses, the goodwill, the trade secrets, the trade names, the inventory, the telephone numbers. Um, and so that's kind of pretty favorable as a buyer, right? Uh, typically, deals end up having to be what's considered like a cash-free, debt-free transaction. So that's usually, you know, you don't include the cash and the seller seller typically retains the long-term debt obligations and usually has to handle that on their own. Um, And so for the buyer's viewpoint, right, the reason they like asset sales is because within IRS guidelines, the buyer can step up the company's depreciable basis in its assets. And so basically, say a seller has had um, some machinery for five years, all right, and so it's halfway or mostly depreciated. But now, what happens is the buyer can come in, and that asset goes back to its original uh, back to its original market value. And so then the new buyer can now take this new depreciation again, and um, you know. It'll allow the buyer to now have additional tax benefits because you'll have larger depreciation expenses and so, you know, less taxable income. So it reduces taxes sooner and overall just improves the company's cash flow during the vital first years. And um, obviously, as I mentioned before, buyers prefer asset sales because they more easily avoid inheriting potential liabilities like uh, contingent liabilities uh, product liability contract disputes prior product warranty issues employee lawsuits Um, but the only time where it's a little different is sometimes, for example, in healthcare facilities where there are certain contracts with insurance companies or there are specific government issued licenses that are tied to an EIN, right? Sometimes those present problems for buyers because certain assets are more difficult to transfer due to issues of assignability, legal ownership, third-party consents, so things like intellectual property, um, a lot of times contracts, right? The contract, if it's a multi-year contract, it's established already with the entity itself. And so depending on the language built within the contract, or like the lease or the permit, um, sometimes obtaining consents and refiling permit applications would like slow down the transaction process. It might not be worth the hassle. So... Um, That's why a buyer would love an asset sale. But for a seller, right, asset sales usually generate higher taxes because um, they're taxed at capital gains rates and other, like, well, intangible assets, right, like goodwill is taxed at a capital gains rate, but then the other normal assets can be subject to higher ordinary income tax rates. And so, you know, if this entity sold is like a C-corp, the seller essentially faces almost double taxation because... First, the corporation is taxed upon selling the business to the buyer, and then the corporation's owners are then taxed again when you take the actual proceeds from the selling of like the assets outside of the corporation. And then if the company was an S-Corp that was formerly a C-Corp, um, and if the sale is within the 10-year built-in gains tax recognition period, the S-Corp's asset sale would trigger another corporate level. It's called B-I-G, built-in gains tax. Um, And that's under IRS section 1374. So, you know, sellers typically want to go for the stock sale. And, um, you know, in a stock sale, the buyer is basically purchasing the seller shareholder stock directly and thereby obtaining ownership in the legal entity. And so, you know, the actual assets and liabilities acquired in a stock sale tend to be similar. But, um, you know, the it has to be kind of more specific because the buyer is now acquiring everything and, and, you know, the like liabilities too, right? And prior kind of issues or situations too. And buyers also lose the ability to gain a step-up basis in the assets. And so they can't basically re-depreciate those assets. Like I gave in the example before, they're going to get the assets either fully depreciated or however, you know, they they can't kind of get that step-up in basis, so the basis of the assets at the time of the sale, which is you know referred to as like the book value, that's the same as the depreciation basis for the new owner. So you know, you'll have lower depreciation expense, higher future taxes uh, compared to like an asset sale. And then obviously, the buyers may end up having more risk by purchasing the company's stock. Uh, because of all the prior stuff, lawsuits, environmental concerns, OSHA violations, employee issues, all of that, you know, all the liabilities that could potentially become the responsibility of the new owner. And so sellers often favor stock sales because the proceeds, there first of all, you're selling an equity. So it's taxed at a lower capital gains rate and all the C-corp, you know, the corporate level taxes are bypassed. So obviously this would mean that also the seller is probably less responsible for future liabilities and they can kind of like, you know, truly get out of it. So, you know, long story short, as a seller, you want to do a stock sale and as a buyer, you want to end up doing an asset sale. All right. So obviously there's more specifics and entity structures matter and there's certain kind of dynamics to talk about, but, you know, that's definitely something you want to keep an eye on and ultimately you have to understand you know what type of business are you going to be using to operate the business right so like for example are you acquiring it through an llc are you acquiring it through a partnership you know are you going to be if your business you know that you're going to use to acquire it like as the buyer right if you're going to do an asset sale then even how are you going to set that up are you going to set it up as a pass-through entity which means the profits pass through directly to the owners Right, So, for example, if that's if you're a sole proprietorship, a partnership, an LLC, an S-Corp. So that's the other kind of real thing to think about. Uh, Moving on to the third item, I would say that the most important tax consideration is understanding what purchase price allocation is. Um, And it sounds fancy, but it's actually not too complicated and definitely worthwhile at any time when you're trying to buy or sell businesses because it's going to be dealt with in any acquisition. And so, you know, essentially, if you choose to sell your business, right, based on its assets, you have to determine a purchase price allocation. So what this is, the IRS actually requires both the buyer and the seller to submit a purchase price allocation kind of form in in, in one sense. So what I mean by that is... um you will have to basically the form requires like an estimate of the fair value of the assets and so the seller you know will be more incentivized to elevate the inventory and the equipment values while the buyer would look to kind of keep these values lower and so interestingly is that like the buyers and sellers are not required to submit the same amount on this IRS form um but obviously, it's best for both parties to agree on the purchase price allocation before reporting it to the IRS. So the purchase price allocation is definitely a very interesting part. Um, and it's kind of, you know, you if you've ever heard of Form 8594, that's kind of referred to as like the asset acquisition statement. And, you know, that is something that's going to come up pretty often and it's like, typically how the tax purposes is kind of be generating from the actual business acquisition so you know the IRS requires that both the buyers and the sellers submit that form 8594 which uh, essentially if, if you've dealt with any acquisitions or deals you'll see it near the end of the purchase agreement and it's basically it establishes like the seven class asset classes to which like the entire purchase price has to be allocated, right? So for example, to comply with GAAP, the buyers have to allocate the purchase price to the assets based on their fair value. Um, And by fair value, that's the price that would be received to sell an asset or pay to transfer a liability in normal kind of like a market measurement, right? And so, you know, you have your first level, the different classes are like, you know, class one is cash, Class two is like securities. Class three is AR or accounts receivable. Um, You know, class four is inventory. And so inventory is kind of and above is where the sellers and the buyers start to get into disputes or conversations because, you know, um, seller would want a low inventory valuation because any gain on inventory ends up being taxed as ordinary income. And then the buyer will obviously want a higher amount because it'll provide basically an immediate deduction against the new company's ordinary income, right? Um, So that's class four inventory. And then class five is like real estate and fixed assets. So again, um, it's interesting because, you know, again, the seller would want a high real estate value because, again, any amount as a gain is taxed as a long-term capital gain um whereas the buyer wants it low but again the problem is that the buyer would want to be able to get that step up in basis right so they can depreciate it right and then class six is covenants or on other intangible properties and then the final remainder uh goes to goodwill which is class seven so That's kind of like, you know, the purchase price allocation has a major impact on the value and the taxation received. So unfortunately, for the most part, it's a zero sum game, meaning like any tax benefit gained by a seller will be lost by a buyer and vice versa. So that's definitely something to kind of keep in mind and that ends up being quite a point of discussion in these deals. Uh, now the fourth most important kind of consideration is to potentially use an installment sale or like sales leaseback or financing. You know, a lot of people think, oh, why in the world would a seller ever just not want to just take the cash all up front? Well, you know, that creates a massive taxable event automatically, you know, whereas if they take installment sales or they kind of break it up over time, they can then choose to do proper tax planning and, you know. Rather than say if you sold your business for five million, rather than thinking a five million dollar tax hit from a taxable income up front to one year, you know, maybe you're smart and have other losses or other business investments where you can deduct a million or two million a year. So if you know that you have that semantically planned, then if you break up your $5 million purchase price or let's say it's $6 million and you break it up over three years and now you only have to deal with $2 in million in taxes every year for those three years, then you can also have an offset planned, right? So that's why as a seller, you might actually want to be incentivized to do an installment sale because... Um, Obviously, for the buyer, they love it because then they allow them to kind of make payments against the purchase price for years to come and manage cash flow. But even as a seller, it's really important and ends up being useful because the seller can also then minimize their tax liability by planning accordingly. right. Um, And then finally, what I would say is definitely just keep in mind that it's not just federal taxation that you need to keep an eye out for, you know, the state and local tax considerations end up becoming a very big deal to keep an eye out for as well. So hopefully that makes sense. Again, I just kind of covered it on a high level overview, but if you do have any questions, always feel free to reach out to me. You can text me and reach us at 516-417-4941. Or you can always check us out or email me at mshah, that's M-S-H-A-H at at msllc.com. I'll put that in the show notes in the description. And yeah, as always, if you do have any other questions or if you are interested in any certain topics regarding to M&A, on the buy side, on the sell side, definitely feel free to reach out. I'm always interested in knowing what type of content you guys are interested in hearing and learning more about so I can kind of, you know, create and craft that content around there. And if this was useful, definitely feel free. Please leave a review. You know, I would really appreciate it. It would allow this to get more views and more traffic and get me more interested and excited to be able to continue doing this on a consistent basis. So, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed, and I'll see you guys next time. Take care.